goody! It's another episode of Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. I'm Micah. Your smile is pretty like a flower that's in bloom. Love is in your heart and sings a happy tune. Hello, hello, Matsy. Come play with us today. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm Matsy. Um, this is Animation Celery, and it's a podcast where we look at cartoons. We then come back and recap them and review them. This week, we're doing a series of shorts. This is one of our favorite things to do. Uh, Micah made me watch Tales of the Wizard of Oz and a Popeye cartoon. And I gave Micah a Mr. Magoo cartoon. And yeah, and uh, a Pink Panther cartoon. So to warm us up, we're going to talk about whatever we want. So. Micah, go ahead. Tell me what you want to talk about. Okay, I'm on a mission. Mm. Various shows I have watched some of, quite enjoyed, and then didn't finish. Oh boy, I know that feeling. Right. Okay, so I'm on a tour to, to cross some of those off my ledger. Mm. Um, so one is done. I finished watching Detroit Metal City. Have you even mm. heard of this thing? I don't think so. Okay. Um, so this is a one season anime. Mm. It's about a country bumpkin, Negishi, who moved to Tokyo to go to school and to pursue his music career. Um, All right. His tastes are utterly foppish. Like he wants to make music about having a sweet girlfriend and going shopping and stuff. <laughs> okay. But... Where he's landed is as the front man of a death metal band called Detroit Metal City. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, the members of the band have extravagant makeup and wigs and costumes. So mm -hmm. uh, it covers up what a uh, useless ninny he is, right? When he, <laughs> when he turns into Johannes Krauser II. The thing is, though... In his regular life, he doesn't get any respect and nobody likes his music. But as Krauser, mm. as Krauser, he's got dedicated fans, just insane, dangerous fans. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this show really uh, hypes, really, really exaggerates. Well, maybe exaggerates the um, the extremity of death metal. Right. Like, right. The opening tells you right away what you're getting into with lyrics like, I don't have any parents because I killed them. I don't have any friends <laughs> or lovers because I killed them. Right? <laughs> All right. Yeah. OK. Um, <laughs> and I'm really hesitant to tell any of the jokes in there. I was describing this to my sister and she, as a point of comparison, said, OK, well, like, say, like Deadpool, as in the movie. And I went, no, no, no. Way worse. Way <laughs> worse. But so it's, it's not for everyone. And I think it's hard to binge because it's so awful. But the thing is, <laughs> it's not um, it's fake awful. Right. We're looking at the fake world of the of heavy metal. Right. Um, mm. So these are all like just theoretically terrible things for the most part. And his fans are utterly delusional. Right. Like. Uh, for example, 
there's one part where he needs to interfere with something that's going on. So he, mm-hmm. but he only has his makeup and wig, not the costume. So he puts those on and then appears with his chin propped on top of a car hood or a car roof rather. Right. And his fans assume that it's Krauser's severed head summoned from hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. He gets, he gets away with a lot of incompetence just because his fans interpret it in the most favorable way possible. <laughs> Oh my God! This this show, uh, will just me anyway shocks me to laughter, and and so it does repeat some jokes, but uh, twelve episodes is just perfect for it because mm. it's able to keep upping the ante, where it shocks me anew episode after episode, right? And right, it, it delivers on its references, right? So you heard about this in an earlier episode. Well, now here's this. Um, I had thought that I'd watched almost all the series, but a lot of the shows are built of half episodes. So mm. I'd seen a lot of stories, but I actually only watched six episodes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's a really fun, interesting show. One of the aspects of the show I think is kind of fun is that sometimes uh, when he's, he, like, even though he, he, he hates death metal and he hates what he's become, when challenged, when his pride is is challenged, um, Krauser just kind of comes out, right? They, right. His, his aggressive personality just comes out. So it's one of those cases of asking, like, uh, Bruce Wayne and Batman, which one is the real mask, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, the show is also, it's kind of ugly, but kind of like how ugliness suits Beavis and Butthead. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, that little layer of ugly on top of Detroit Metal City just suits it perfectly. <laughs> it's like, it's one of the funniest cartoons, in my opinion. But Interesting. It's, not, it's not for everyone. Like, Okay. Um, if you're a snowflake, I think <laughs> if, if you've even seen a snowflake, this show might not be for you, <laughs> right? I'm serious. It's offensive. Oh, one of the, one of the characters I really like that the manager of Detroit metal city, um, she is just vulgar. And, uh, uh, she also has a really easy, cheap laugh for me is that she swears in English. So it just, just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I, good show. I completed it. It's the perfect length. Um, and I soft recommend it. If you like things okay. dark, if you like, if you laugh at dark things, Detroit Metal City might be the way to go. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, so next on my list to to cross off, I am finally going to watch the ninth season of My Little Pony: Friendship Is Magic. Wow. You're, yeah. Finally. I think you might actually be significantly ahead of me if I remember correctly. Oh, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Um. Yeah. That. It's funny, Netflix didn't have the ninth season. Now it only has the first season. It's the phase I noticed out. that too. Yeah. What it's, happened? It's the phase out of Friendship is Magic. And it's how worthless. Just one season. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I've, I've embarked a little bit into it so far. Um, okay. It's hard to know how to feel about it because I've got like a rocky relationship with this show, right? To where mm-hmm. I question, if I do watch a few consecutively, I question like, ugh. 
this show has really lost it, man. Um, hmm. But season nine has come out so focused. It's it starts with a two parter, and what it does like season season eight was a nice diversion. They they start a school about friendship, right? So you get to okay. see all new characters or whatever, but now it's reverting back. Okay, here's the main six. Heck, they've even relegated, at least for the start, um, uh, not, not Starlight Shimmer, um, Starlight Glimmer, right? The, like, the, the weird seventh one that they added? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is Starlight Shimmer. Because I think it's supposed to be similar to Twilight Sparkle. No, 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 it's Starlight Glimmer. And then from Equestria Girls, it's it's Sunset Shimmer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Twilight has right. Twilight has two um, opposite force but similar path types of character. Anyway, um, so right. they kind of relegated Starlight Glimmer. So at the start of this ninth season, basically, <laughs> um, Celestia and Luna. Say, you know what? We're going to, we're going into retirement, so uh, you're now responsible for everything, T- Twilight. <laughs> what? So, on in turn, she dumps the school onto Starlight. I mean, we get some familiar territory where she's uh, she's n- frantic because she feels she's underprepared, and but in this case, rightfully yeah. so, since they just dump it on her. It's not like you know we're going to retire in ten years or whatever, right? Yeah. I think it's also That's funny. Weird. It's funny that they figure it's a good time to retire because it's the longest uh, period of peace in Equestria. <laughs> which makes me wonder how long is it between seasons? How long is it between season eight and season nine? Is it less than is, is it actually more than one year? Hmm. Because they seem to have a uh, major problem every season. Hmm. But following to that end. We, we start right at it in this. Like I said, it's focused. Um, there's a new villain, Grogar, who summons all of the season-ender villains that haven't, re- <laughs> that haven't reformed. but So all the ones that remain bad. He, he summons them and uh, tries to impress on them that they beat you with teamwork so you can use that as your weapon too and win. Um, hmm. now have you seen Sombra? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sombra was, I think the, was it the villain at the end of season two or the beginning of season three? It was uh, four. The, I, think. I think he's the end season four under. Yeah. He, he was the, like this dark force that was assaulting the crystal kingdom. Right. Right. And he, being yeah. really ineffectual at it. Like, I felt like that villain did nothing. Yes, they they won and dunned him. Most of the other villains have a to-be-continued, but they just whooped him. Um, mm. And also, it just felt a little uninspired because, for one, we just done a thing with the Crystal Kingdom. Like, how how much are they trying to push this thing? And yeah. Chrysalis was a really cool villain, and this guy was, eh. So... Um, he's the first to kind of strut his stuff in this season. And I can't tell whether the makers of the show like him or dislike him <laughs> hmm. because, okay. So like I said, the first time around, you didn't, didn't make much of an impression on you. Right. And he was one and done. Um, this time around, he gets two episodes to show what he can do. 
he's reasonably successful, but at the same time, <laughs> we, okay, I'm going to spoil this, uh, and if, if you don't want to spoil, I guess pause right now and watch two episodes of season nine, <laughs> but mm. I figure if you haven't by this point, you're probably not gonna unless you get a push. Um, mm. Okay, so he shows up, and Twilight immediately figures like, oh no, I'm in charge, well, I guess we better handle this. So they did actually what they didn't do against Sombra the first time. They all armed themselves with their arm, uh, their um, uh, elements of harmony mm -hmm. and then head to the Crystal Kingdom and blast the crud out of them. <laughs> Twilight disintegrates him, which is shocking already that it's just like she shoots a rainbow ray and you watch him dissolve like, <laughs> right? Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd never seen that in My Little Pony this far. That's not usually what they do. Yes, but it was a ruse. So he 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 gets the upper hand, but um, they eventually find a new source of power, and this time do the same thing again. Except it's slightly more graphic. Even watching him disintegrate. So, <laughs> like I said, I'm not sure if they like him or not. <laughs> right, that we get to see him reduced to nothing twice. Maybe um, the writers just kind of realize that there is nothing to that character. Yeah. Like, he's dark. Well, I guess he, that's it. He mind controls. So in a sense, he could be more dynamic than the other ones. Hmm. Like what, what is Tyrick? He's just, well, he absorbs magic, I guess is his thing. Hmm. Now he is important to this first plot. Um, Shoot, John Delancey's character. Boy, oh boy. Oh, Discord. Yeah, I'm having... I'm the, going to, the thing I'm, we're talking over right now. Yeah, I'm going senile in real time. Um, <laughs> okay, so Discord. He's in the show a lot in later seasons. Yeah, I, well, yeah, he... Once they brought him back after his villainous turn, like, yeah. he was around a lot already. I really think um, less is more with him, and more mm. is much less. So... I hope that we're not going to see a lot more of him as the season plays out. He feels like one of those characters, like, you know, they threw him in and all the fans went nuts. And so the writers are like, oh, well, I guess we got to keep using him. Yeah, but he sucks the air out of the room. It's like mm. it's like when I'm with someone who uh, uh, doesn't have an off button. So I just turn right off. Right. So same thing with Discord. Um, there was a team up in in one episode where. It was Discord and Trixie and, and a couple other characters. But the point is, is that Trixie was reduced to being a straight person because Discord was around. Hmm. Yeah. So, like I say, he's, he doesn't leave a lot of room for anyone else when he's when he's around. But yeah. Anyway, My Little Pony, I'm, I'm, I'm going to push. I'm going to do the whole thing. Um, All right. And then I think next on my list might be Inuyasha, which is the same kind of thing where it's a million seasons long and I'm not sure yeah. how I feel about it. You know, fluctuate yeah. in and out of, Oh God, I wish this thing would end. <laughs> I don't, there, there's, there's a sequel series now, you know, I saw something about in, 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 Hime or something. Yeah. I got remember. Oh yeah. But it's, it's like a new generation. Yeah. Not his kid, but Sashomaru's kid. Hmm. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how this all goes. If I, 
crawl over the finish line with My Little Pony. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, uh, one other thing I want to talk about. Um, so have you heard that the, the Disney animator announcing that they're going to make 2D features again? I haven't heard that, but yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, so people are buzz about this. I don't think it's like an official studio word, but uh, I can't remember the animator. But Eric Goldberg. Okay. Who was an animator on Aladdin. All right. So, I mean, it's in articles and stuff. I guess Disney's not clamped down on it. So it's not like mm, a secret mm. or anything. But yeah, he says features, which, you know, they haven't done in a while and seemed yeah. like they were never going to do. Um, similarly, Leica Studios has announced that they're going to make another stop motion feature, the Night Gardener. Hmm. Something else they said, we're not doing this again. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, I guess when it comes down to it, they're, they're not doing it again because they don't make any money. <laughs> so the pessimist in me feels like we're going to be forced to learn the same lesson all over again. People are going to champion, <laughs> you know, like, yay, the, you know, hand-drawn features are back. And then not enough people are going to go see him. Um, I think, you know, I, I'm not a professional animator, but my assumption was that things moved from 2D to 3D because it was so much easier. Like you could do it quick, you know, th something like the Lion King takes like five years to make. Yeah. And an animated feature or a computer animated feature, you could knock out pretty quick, relatively not, speaking. Not really. <laughs> Well, relatively speaking. Okay. You know, where you can do like, you know, in the time, like I said, it takes five years to make something like Aladdin. And yeah. meanwhile, you can make Shrek and then it's a big hit. And then within two years, you can have Shrek 2. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and so if you're, but if, if art is done digitally, like if you can do 2D, but draw it digitally. Right. That, that's half the battle there. And I, yeah, yeah. So, I yeah, I mean, the, I um, guess if you're if you're not painting on cells, there's no reason why you couldn't do a 2D animated feature digitally uh, in a reasonable amount of time and expense. Yeah. And you might incorporate some of your new techniques, too. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, yeah. You might say that some of the new techniques look cheap. But they always they've always done them. They just didn't have all the capabil capabilities of like warping and the like, right? Or yeah. moving on interesting axes, right? It was harder yeah. to do when you were sliding a cell on a bar, right? Um, right. I think. Okay, I think in part, although children have a bias to computer animation, I think they do. Um, I think there's layers of impediments to. Uh, traditional animation and stop motion. Mm -hmm. uh, one, I don't, uh, theaters don't want to take the risk of de dedicating hmm. screens to them. So I hmm. think that'll get a boost if these new things are largely about streaming. And hmm, also, yes. also, I think that kid bias narrows. And one of the other biases, I think, is that uh, their parents don't want to take them to a traditionally animated movie. Like, subjectively they feel like they're losing value if they pay for that. I think. I think or, there's or also, yeah, I think to some extent, um, the, 
the computer animated features at the time when they started coming out, you know, say starting, what was it, 1996 with Toy Story? That was when the traditionally animated features were kind of going downhill in quality. Yeah. So like the the computer animated stuff was really good. Like Pixar's stuff is all really good. You know, like the the first couple of Shrek movies, you know, it's a meme now. But the fact is that those first two Shrek movies were actually really good. Mm. Um, And, you know, I mean, to a lesser extent, you got your Ice Age or whatever. But like <laughs> that there's things that like adults actually get stuff out of. Right. Whereas you can have this bias of like, oh, uh, the, you know, what's a Disney movie from the later days? Home on the Range. Uh, I didn't want to use that example, but OK. Um, I don't even know if enough people saw that to make it an example. But yeah, like just the the, the cell animated features just kind of became really overwrought after a while. Well, they also went like they kind of tried a new direction and then were punished for it. Right. So mm. um, Treasure Planet and Atlantis were different. Yeah. Kinds of movies. Yeah. But OK, I. I I've watched Treasure Planet in this past year and I mm-hmm. liked it, mm-hmm. but I kind of feel that when you're promoting these movies, I think that Treasure Planet and Atlantis are a little washed out. Like it's hard to get excited about it if you just see a trailer for that. Yeah. They're not vibrant like Lion King or Aladdin and that really hurt yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that computer animation gave itself permission to go new directions. Right. So like Disney jump ship a little too late and we're still making like Broadway musicals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, com- like just imagine a different world where computer animation was never a thing. Would we have ever gotten Zootopia? Probably not. Hmm. Right. No. Or even like, yeah. not good movies necessarily, but you know, you wouldn't have had a movie like Megamind. I don't think. Right. Y- yeah. Like it's you know, easy or- to, you know, cause computer animation is, relatively easy and not as expensive as it used to be. Yeah. You know, or any despicable me or any of these movies, they wouldn't have made them right. Like any, you know, questionable idea just like, yeah. okay, sure. Let's give it a try. And Hey, what do you know? Despicable me turns out is pretty good and made a lot of money and it has really merchandisable characters. So let's keep going, man. Though it kills me. All these middling computer animated films. That do really well. And then when Ardman or Leica put out a thing that, you know, it's just like you have to go across town to one theater to see it. And, mm. you know, it's it's dead on arrival, all those movies. Yeah, I've actually lost track. I used to love Ardman and now I've lost track of the movies they've made. Hmm. Let's see. What's the last one I watched? Um, There's something about pirates. Maybe it was just called pirates. That that was a long time ago. The pirates. Yeah, it's good. It's not um, Nick Park is the animator, right? Nick Park. It's it's not Nick Park good, but it's Mm. still it's still got good things in it. Oh, shoot. What was the one with the cavemen in it? The Stone Age people. No, 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 no. Not that thing. It's a, a clay animated one from Aardman. Oh, oh, geez. Oh, it's. Oh, it's like the Bronze Age or something. Um, I yeah. know the one you mean. Um, here they are. I'm looking at the list here. Um, Early Man. Early Man. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I've seen a lot of these things. Um, 
Okay. Uh, flushed away, I didn't see. Ironically, it's computer animated, though. I Yeah, I, I actually own that on DVD. Um, oh, it's yeah. all right. It's okay. Well, this is weird. The the pirates they list as the pirates in an adventure with scientists. I thought it was just the pirates. Hmm. Yeah. So I've seen that. I've seen both Shaun the Sheep movies. They're good. I see the first one. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, these, you know, maybe they get an extra push in in um, England. But here, like, again, you get only the small theaters. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I hope that, like, well, I guess I hope that it really takes off the mm-hmm. return to these movies. But I hope that they've tempered their expectations and that they expect to do a lot in streaming, where I think they could do a lot because in stream, children choose what they want to watch and adults don't have to watch it with them. Yeah. So they might choose something more interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, that's what's been on my mind. Uh, how about you, Mansi? Uh... I didn't do a lot this week. I was mostly dealing with work. Mm. Um, I watched, I tentatively watched a couple of things. Maybe I'll talk about them later. Um, I briefly got another idea for another British sitcom that (laughs) people are, you know, they're still, I don't know when they've stopped or if they've stopped, but it's like one of those shows that just keeps on popping up. Like, it's never finished, which okay. is Red Dwarf. Oh, my God. OK, <laughs> let's go, Red Dwarf. Yeah. And I'm and I've sort of started thinking again, same thing. Like, what if you did an animated Red Dwarf? And then it was the same thing. Like, oh, but it would they would have to make it adult. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Um, I got like I said, I got a couple of things that I want to maybe investigate a little further before I talk about them. Um, but also we've been going for a while. So how about we just dig into it? How about we dig into the shorts? Oh, I don't know. You've whetted my appetite for complaining about Red Dwarf. All right. All right. Let's go. Go ahead. Well, if you no, want to no, say no, something no. about Red Dwarf. Oh, it's just like, it's like the tick. I'm a little embarrassed whenever it comes up again. You know, <laughs> <laughs> did you see the one where they jumped a season ahead and it was just like a, one movie? Where they discover that they're a t- that they are a TV show. Yeah, back to Earth. Man, that I did, sucked. I did watch that. I that was, was terrible. Hmm. hmm, hmm. And it, oh, talk about timely. It was nothing but um, Blade Runner jokes, as in Blade Runner <laughs> the first movie jokes. You notice that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just awful. Oh, anyway. Okay, okay, got that on my system. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So from one. One complaining old man to one beloved doddering old man. Um, we're going to talk about Mr. Magoo. Hmm. Okay, so Mr. Magoo is a wealthy, good-natured old man who is extremely nearsighted. It's actually even in the title that he's nearsighted. Um, being virtually blind, he frequently confuses one thing for another. And you add a dash of senility and a resistance to addressing his poor vision. And Magoo gives you cartoon romps, where by pure luck, issues play out in his favor, or he wanders imperviously through danger, and by the end, he is none the wiser. This episode I'm talking about is Pink and Blue Blues, directed by Pete Burness in 1952. Hmm. 
So at the start, Magoo is at home and he's watching TV or rather confusing his goldfish bowl for television. The phone rings and it's his next door neighbor, Mrs. Manaphy. Is that what you heard, Manaphy? Something like that. Yeah. Um, her babysitter canceled last minute. So she unwisely asks Mr. Magoo to fill in. Hmm. And by the way, the phone is an old-fashioned one with separate pieces to talk into and listen from. Yeah, yeah. And though he gets the earpiece correct, he thinks his cuckoo clock is his phone. And he keeps putting coins into it to try to make outgoing calls. <laughs> so in the walking distance between houses, he passes a criminal on the street named Catfeet Finnegan, who is defacing his own wanted poster by giving the picture of his face a mustache and beard. He could try taking off the same hat that he has in the picture, and for that <laughs> matter, taking off his hey, I'm a burglar domino mask. <laughs> anyway, lucky for Finnegan, Mr. Magoo thinks he's Officer Clancy, guardian of the law. He mutters a lot, Mr. Magoo. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the crook then reviews his crime tools inside his jacket notably fingering his kosh, or blackjack, or it's a little club. And he seeks to take advantage of a home with only an old man and a baby. When little baby Homer bites Magoo's hand, he figures that the boy is hungry. So he goes to get a bottle of formula. But the blind fella gets a bottle of soda pop instead. When the dog of the house barks because he sees Finnegan at the window, Magoo improbably, improperly, takes him for Homer, they're about the same size, and pulls a self-switcheroo. He shakes the bottle to test the temperature on his wrist, but being a carbonated drink, it explodes. <laughs> Later, the dog wards the crook's attempt to come down the chimney. Magoo trips over an ottoman stool, and with it turned upside down, he thinks that it's the dog playing dead. And it so happens that he switcheroos again and correctly puts Homer in the bath. Then, after the dog scares the crook again, he switcheroos again, taking Homer, who he thinks is a dog, out from the bath for Rover. He's appointed this dog Rover. Um, during that time, he actually sees Finnegan in the window, but assumes that it's a mere reflection. So, Rover is dressed in pajamas and put in the crib. When Mr. Magoo comes across Homer, who has been playing with a tube of toothpaste, he mistakes the froth on his mouth for Rover having rabies. He calls the police, and the result is a chaotic chase and scuffle, Finnegan failing to hit Magoo with his club, the dog chasing Finnegan up to the chandelier, which then falls and flattens the crook. The police and the Manaphys come to the house at the same time, and the policeman, possibly Officer Clancy, uh, with Finnegan in hand, praises the heroics of the babysitter. <laughs> the married couple is grateful, but as Magoo hands off the dog swaddled like a baby, he then closes the door and reveals Homer sitting atop an end table and hacking away at it with a chipped straight razor. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. So unexpected. <laughs> Uh, as the oblivious old man returns home, the bottom drops out of his cuckoo clock and out tumble all 78 nickels he's mistakenly put into it like it's a payphone. Excuse me. Um, 
st- I'm still stuck on that boy hacking away at the end table. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so yeah, hearing you describe that cartoon, like yeah, captures the chaos of it. Because it's but like not it's really. Just... They they do a good job with that sequence where he's trying to club him, and mm. then like there's all kinds of tumbling and the lights going on and off and running in and out like. It's a better version of that Scooby-Doo gag. For one, it's got more interesting perspective of Magoo, Finnegan, and Rover running in and out of doors. Mm Mm-hmm. It's more frantic. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's In fact, I think mm. this this cartoon is narratively overall pretty good. And what it sets up and what it pays off, pretty good. Mm Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I looked at some other Mr. Magoo cartoons, and they're all just kind of... You know, as you described, like him wandering around and like things happening around him. Yeah, it's baby's day out without anyone to fret over him, basically. A lot of them. Yeah. Like this one. There's so much action going on. Yeah. It's like other people are actually doing stuff. It's not just everyday life happening that Mr. Magoo is mistaking for other things. Um, Mm. Which is a plus. It's a positive for this. You know, I. I almost wish that I'd recommended the Inspector Gadget, the second season Inspector Gadget episode that I was going to at first, except I didn't think it was that good. But it's of Gadget being given a fake baby, you know, hmm. like like a, a, a villain pretending to be a baby. And huh. he's he's almost as blind as Mr. McCoo in that thing, <laughs> continually like switching brain and the baby and all that. Um <clears throat> So it would have been a nice callback from this one. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So this is um, from United Pictures of America, who uh, longtime animation celery listeners might remember is the studio that put out Gerald McBoing Boing. Mm -hmm. Not much else, though. Um, Gay Paris. Maybe people have seen that movie. Um, Oh, right. Now, Gay Paris looks like a Chuck Jones... As I'm Reece no- I think it's Reese Noble who directed it, but basically it looks like a Chuck Jones movie. It doesn't look like these things. Hmm. Gerald McBoing Boing and Mr. Magoo have a distinct look to them. Yeah. Jim Backus does the voice of Mr. Magoo. Yeah. He's probably best known. Well, he's certainly best known as Thurston Howell III from Gilligan's Island. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, mumbles kind of like Popeye. A little bit. I thought he mumbled more, and I think it's because I don't remember what it was for, but he was used in a modern commercial with obviously a different voice actor. There's, if I remember correctly, there is a more recent Mr. Magoo show. Oh, yeah? Um, I know there was a movie some years ago, a live action oh, yeah. movie, yeah. starring Leslie Nielsen as Mr. Magoo, uh, which was apparently really bad. Yeah, I imagine. Uh, yeah, but I think there's a current Mr. Magoo. You know, Mr. Magoo is a weird character to deal with because um, it can be interpreted as making fun of a disability. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, some like uh, visually impaired societies or whatever. Well, I don't want to say yeah. whatever, like dismissively, but but like you yeah, know, yeah, that know sort of mean. that sort of um, cause. Yeah. You know, they're like, yeah, don't laugh at. This guy who can't see, hmm. but like it's the thing is, it's not that he's beyond help. 
It's just that he doesn't. Yeah. Like he doesn't think he needs. I remember at some point having like a Mr. Magoo, like comics anthology, you know, like a little like like a little pocket like book thing, kind of like a Garfield book, sort of. Um, And I remember a comic series where I don't know, he, he was he was looking in an optometrist's window and he said something, I don't know, he, he, you know, he totally misinterpreted what he was looking at, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, watch out for that octave, watch out for those tentacles, or, or something like that, right? Sure. And the doctor's like, oh, gosh, come right this way, I can help you. And he, and he sits Mr. Magoo down, and he puts glasses on him, and he goes like, glasses? I don't need glasses. Oh, get out. And he's like you know, walks off. And that was kind of the point of the thing. I mean, I'm sure there were other gags in it that I'm not remembering now, but I remember that, that distinct point. Like there was an optometrist who's like, wow, do you need glasses? Let me help you. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Magoo's like, what the, what are you doing? I don't need glasses. So yeah, he is, um, just willfully the first, you know, I looked at the first Mr. Magoo cartoon. Yeah. And, it uh, didn't really play too much with the idea that he was blind. Weird. It. I mean, it did a little bit. Like, I, you know, I say that, but the whole thing was him mistaking a bear for his nephew, Waldo. Okay. But, but yeah, I was like, this, the reason I didn't pick it is because I, I felt like it was an okay cartoon, but I was like, this doesn't really feel like it's representative of Mr. Magoo. Doesn't he have a racist manservant? As in the depiction is racist. Am I wrong on that? I don't know for sure, but it would not surprise me at all. Hmm. I'll tell you, a quirk of his that I really enjoyed in this cartoon, Mm -hmm. to go outside, he puts on a fez, and (laughs) then he puts a bowler hat on top of the fez. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think he was already wearing the fez. Like, for some reason, I don't know if it was something about the time or whatever, but like... yeah. Wearing a house coat and fez was like a symbol of right. luxury. No, but he does it when he leaves the uh, uh, the Manaphy's oh, house too. Oh, 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 <laughs> yeah. oh, oh! Well, he, he like he he hands over the dog and then he puts the fez on and walks off screen and then he's putting his bowler hat on. <laughs> That's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but you know. We talked, you picked probably the best one, <laughs> the best Mr. Magoo. I had fun watching it. Yeah, this, I believe this was nominated for an Academy Award. Oh, yeah. Um. So I think there was another one that was nominated. Actually, I think there's a couple that were nominated, if I remember, because I remember right. looking at some other ones. Like, I there was like, uh, I think it was like Magoo's Puddle Jumper, I think was one. Right. But it didn't seem very interesting to me. And also, I mm. couldn't really find a very good version of it. It was mm. like he he bought a car and ended up underwater. <laughs> um, and he was mistaking all the fish for traffic or whatever. I don't know. I guess um, Mr. Magoo is kind of like Farrelly Brothers movies before they were around. <laughs> 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 oh, boy. All right. Um, OK, I guess we can link shows that have a similar look. And also have a hard time finding well-preserved episodes. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I actually yeah. found a good uh, YouTube channel. Um, well, yeah. Elijah Hechtman. Yeah, but but if it's the one I'm thinking about, some of the later episodes have all kinds of skips in them. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I was just uh, looking for the specific ones you wanted. Yeah. Um, 
I did notice that sometimes you could see like little scribbles at the bottom of the screen where things had been written on the cells and it was like okay. animating between. I should probably explain what this is. So Tales of the Wizard of Oz. Uh, this is a cartoon from 1961 by a company called Video Crafts, which you might know better as the name they changed to a little bit later. Rankin Bass. Woo. Uh, it's okay. You know, this, this got me thinking about the human brain. (laughs) Okay. Because it's amazing. Your brain is a relatively small object of just tissues and chemicals, right? But it's amazing that it's able to record information. All right. When you gave me, you told me Tales of the Wizard of Oz. I was like, I... Don't know what that title means. There's so many interpretations of Wizard of Oz. This could be anything. I'm just going to go with it. I and then you got the, two. You got I, two. There's three sad souls. Oh, that's me. exactly oh my. what happened. <laughs> I, I, I did a search. I did a search. I clicked the first video that came up. As soon as I saw it was like. Yeah. My it took like maybe two seconds. Yeah. For my brain to go from. Well, that's a new interpretation of those characters. To, I remember this. It's probably that way for everybody. When I describe this to people, they don't know it. But (laughs) maybe maybe if they saw it, they would. Yeah. Um, So what this is, is a series of very short cartoons, like four minutes long each, set in the world of Oz. It's it's basically the three friends, the Scarecrow, the Tin Man and the, the Lion, along with Dorothy, Dorothy and her dog Toto. And the wizard. Um, oh, and of course, the Wicked Witch of the West is there, too. And there are munchkins. It basically it doesn't necessarily follow the plot of the movie, but it also doesn't draw any material that wasn't in the movie. Ah, yeah. um, so it's familiar to people who have a passing, you know, memory exposure to the Wizard of Oz. It sort of distills Dorothy's companions into the Three Stooges, more or less. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Because this is also, this seems, it seems to be out of canon with the movie, kind of, where, like, Well, the wizard is a wizard, for one. The wizard, yeah, like, he is exposed as just this little man, but also he does have some measure of magical power. Lots of it, yeah. And also, the, the three friends are still missing the things that they're missing. They also have names. Oh, yeah. Um... The Scarecrow is named Socrates, the Tin Man is named Rusty, and the Lion is named Dandy. And, yeah, it's a it's a weird little thing. Mm. But let's get into it. Uh, you gave me two cartoons to watch because they're so short. And the first one is The Dinner Party. Um, I actually failed to write out synopses for these. So, oh, okay. but fortunately, they're very short and yeah. it'll be easy to, like, just kind of you know, remember what happened. Uh, So the dinner party is the first one. And it starts with Dorothy. I like this version of Dorothy, by the way. You do with a round head. (laughs) Yeah, I this I think she's a cute little girl. Um, She doesn't have her. She doesn't have her ruby slippers. Um, But Hmm. yeah, of all the character designs, like I I kind of appreciate the minimalist design of the Wicked Witch. But of all these characters. Yeah, one color. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, like, that'll, no that'll no separation later. from her like face to her dress. It's she's just a triangle, mm-hmm. right? Right. right. Yeah. Um but of all the characters in this, I like Dorothy the best, at least from a design standpoint. Although I will say that the scarecrow's legs <laughs> walking give yeah. me life. Oh, the way I those were, I thought you were going to talk about his lumpy head. <laughs> uh, I can take or leave that, but just the way his like his like floppy legs just circle around like right oh it's tremendous um anyway dorothy is walking along with toto and she's reading a book turns out the book is about french cooking and she figures this looks easy and also interesting and she figures the thing to do is probably to invite her friends over for dinner so that she can uh, make some french uh, cooking for them try out these, these recipes and techniques And it just so happens that the three friends are having a little discussion about how hungry they are and how bored they are of eating the same thing over and over. Um, The Scarecrow, (laughs) in particular, again, resonates with me because he eats peanut butter sandwiches all the time and he's tired of it. But also he really likes peanut butter sandwiches. (laughs) Right. And so they're all... I think Rusty's got a joke about how he likes anything that's cheap. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this whole thing kicked off with one of them asking if they could eat out today. And right. But anyway, yeah, they're basically they're talking about how they never have interesting food and they would like some food. And just then Dorothy walks up and invites them to dinner. And of course, hey, free meal, something new. We're all over it. Yeah, let's go. All right. So back at home, Dorothy uh, reads her book and she decides that crepe Suzette would be the easiest thing to make. And she does the recipe very literally. Uh, It calls for a container of milk, I think six eggs and a bag of flour. And so she puts in like an entire bottle of milk, glass and all. And then just six eggs, shells and all. And then just a burlap sack of flour. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah and she's she beats it with her whisk she's having a good time with it um she thinks it's fun and easy and this is great although toto is concerned uh as you might imagine <laughs> i also kind of like his facial expressions the way he like looks at the camera and stuff right right by the way yeah. this is like the second time in two months we've seen a redheaded girl butcher a recipe like this yeah no i i was thinking yeah. about little audrey uh a bit Uh, as I was watching this. Yeah. Uh, the companions show up and brainless scarecrow does have a nose because he immediately smells something burning and Dorothy goes running to check on her, uh, crepe Suzette, which she has in the oven. And I'm not sure that's how you make crepe Suzette. Cause I think crepe Suzette crepes are like pancakes. You make them on like a griddle where you use that, (laughs) that, uh, rock garden rake to, Mm, mm, mm. spin it around like a record on the on the griddle. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Dorothy goes rushing to uh, save the save her food. Uh, it's just these blackened chunks in the oven, <laughs> but she's happy with it. She figures the recipe worked fine. And she brings it out to serve to her friends. Rusty and Socrates are both uh, immediately dubious, although the lion thinks nothing's wrong and he eats a bunch he 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 likes it quite a bit it's like his mom used to make although it uh sickens the other two 
the two with the non-organic stomachs. Right. <laughs> um, they go walking off. Rusty and Socrates are like, man, that was bad. And the lion dandy is like, no, it was all right. But then his stomach attacks him. And he feels uh, even worse than the other two. Exactly what uh, went wrong. Mm. He ends up sick in bed. He hasn't been able to eat anything in a long time. Uh, But Dorothy is visiting and uh, since he's hungry, she brought some crepe Suzette for him since he liked it so much the first time. And uh, yeah, there's a sort of a, whoa, I'm going to be sick again. And uh, every episode of this ends with a little musical sting. It's like Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. Quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Let me get into the second episode real quick here um, Mm. before we discuss it. It's called Going to Pieces, and it is similarly simple. Uh, The wizard, we get to see the wizard here. He's hanging out in his uh, machine's stuff, and Rusty shows up for his checkup. Because I guess the wizard is uh, a mechanic as well. He gives Rusty a good checkup. There's various uh, puns about the mechanical doings. You know, he checks his oil pressure and checks for gas and that kind of thing. Uh, Gives him a good uh, lube up with oil. Um, Yeah, he's got some lead in his exhaust pipe. But uh, (laughs) yeah, I like that he's got the dipstick like a thermometer in his mouth, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so he's mostly fine. Although a little bit of lead, but uh, he gets some iron pills that'll uh, get the lead out. <laughs> Rusty also has a joke, which I actually thought was pretty good. Um, it was uh, speaking of iron and steel. He's like, he knows this couple is husband and wife. <laughs> he steals and she irons or something like oh, that. Oh, God. It was, yeah. it, was an o- it was an OK little joke. Yeah. Anyway, Rusty the Tin Man goes off with his uh, bottle of pills and takes a nap under a tree. Just then, the Wicked Witch shows up. She decides to cause some mischief using a magic screwdriver to take all the bolts out of all of Rusty's joints. She also notices the bottle of pills, tries one, and, you know, she's a witch, so the deal is that, you know, repulsive things are delicious to her. And Mm. in this case, these iron pills are delicious candy. And she just takes the whole thing and starts munching as she walks away. Om nom nom. Hmm. A little while later, Rusty wakes up and immediately starts falling apart. He has no bolts holding all his parts together. He cries out for help. This, by the way, is the point where I noticed the uh, scribbles on the bottom of the screen. Hmm. Um, Dorothy and uh, Toto show up and they go fetch the wizard or more specifically Toto does. Uh, the wizard correctly assesses that uh, all Rusty's bolts are missing. He he uses his magic to put him back together, but he's not going to stay together for long without bolts. Toto then notices the trail of iron pills leading away, and they find the witch writhing in pain under a tree. <laughs> Turns out eating a whole bottle of iron pellets is not good for even a witch. She admits that she stole Rusty's bolts and agrees to give them back in exchange for the wizard helping her with her poor stomach. And once Rusty has his bolts back, the solution is to grab her by the legs and shake her upside down until all the iron pills fall out. That's it. Yeah, so I was saying that (laughs) I could remember episodes but couldn't find them on the list. Mm -hmm. 
and also some that I thought would be good to do just weren't preserved well enough. They had like the, the weird skipping in them. Mm. So I had criteria. Like I wanted to make sure that the wizard was in at least one of them. Sure. Um, I'm a little sad I didn't feature the munchkins because they're hilarious in this show. Yeah, they're not little <laughs> humanoids. They're little like like colored onion things that talk in squeaks. They're like a subcategory of people in Mr. Men books or something. Yeah, 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 sure. Yes. Um, but it's funny when I worked out limitations and like th th this is an entertaining episode and it's an intact episode that... Uh, <laughs> I picked one, two episodes that end in tummy aches. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you uh, you got a theme there. Yeah, by accident. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, um, you know, this is uh, it, it's crude, but at the same time, for a four minute cartoon, it kind of does what it needs to do. It yeah, it gives you the characters that you know from the movie, The Wizard of Oz. It has them doing like different things. I think there's one where they join the army. There's one where there's an election. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's all, you know, it's just real short fun. Um, I think most of them are not very good though. Well, um, no, I mean, I'm not going to say that it's great, but like, it's, you know, it's so short that it's kind of inoffensive. Well, it's, it's okay. So my relationship with this cartoon is, uh, I would get up really early for Saturday morning cartoons and that meant that I would watch the pre-cartoon, if you will, for cartoons, which was always <laughs> the mighty Hercules. Yeah, yeah. But at one point, it switched over to being this. Yeah. So this is what I, you know, sprung up at 5.30 to watch. Um, <laughs> and eventually, I think it switched to Gumby and Pokey. So it must have had some Canadian content as well. This is by um, not just Rankin Bass, but the actual animation is done by Crawley Films. Mm-hmm which was a Canadian film company that goes way back to the, uh, like, 1939. Hmm. Um, it was later bought by Atkinson Film Arts, and they animated the Care Bears specials, the Raccoon specials, <laughs> the Adventures of Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah, yeah. Um, and later, the studio returned to its roots and called itself Crawley's Animation, and in the procession of things, Nilvana eventually owned them, but... Right, right. Yeah. Speaking of uh, the Raccoons... Uh, yes. We can talk slightly about the voice cast here. Okay. Carl Bannis is the wizard, and he's kind of doing a W.C. Fields thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was Schaefer in The Raccoons. Yeah. The voice of Dorothy interested me. Corrine Conley is her name. Mm hmm She is still alive and active today. She did voices in the video game Watchdog Legion. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but... She's probably best known. She had a recurring role in Days of Our Lives for a while, but uh, also she was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer's mom in that cartoon. Oh, and, the Rankin-Bass Association is strong. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, uh, what's his name? Who is it? Larry Mann is Rusty. <laughs> and you mean Larry D-Man? Larry D-Man, yeah. Yeah. Um, Instantly recognizable as Yukon Cornelius. Right. Yeah. Um, the reason I brought up Corrine Conley, though, is because she does a fantastic impression of Judy Garland. Like, oh, yeah. I was really like I checked to see if it was Judy Garland, actually, because like she mm. she has her certain way of talking, saying words like Kansas. Um, oh, OK. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's. 
it's it's the best version of that Dorothy that I've heard. Um, hmm. But yeah, it's um, it's an interesting thing, and and it, it was fun to watch just because of the like the reaction. Like it's the second time in my life that you have blown my mind by. Sh- by presenting me with something that I vaguely remembered, or in this case, didn't remember at all until it was presented to me. What was the other one? Uh, rock and rule. Rock and rule. See, huh. I, so rock and rule. I remembered little scenes of it. Cause you know, I watched, right. I saw some of that when it, that was on Canadian TV in something like 1983. Yeah. Um, so I would have been like five and I remembered <clears throat> it existing. Yeah. But I could never remember what it was. And then one day we were hanging out and I guess we were you were talking about cartoons in some way. And I thought, well, here's a shot. Micah seems to know cartoons. Do you remember a cartoon that had this and this? And you said, uh, sounds like rock and rule. And as soon as you said the words rock and <laughs> rule, my brain yeah. lit up like oh, that was it. Like I, I immediately recognized just the title of it. Right. And was later able to go on to the Internet and buy a DVD. (laughs) (laughs) I got one more note on Larry D. Mann. Yeah, okay. He's also the voice of the Blue Racer. (laughs) (laughs) Important, right? (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Yes, very important. Well, now I'm going to click on his name and see if he was the racist beetle. Uh, Apparently not. I don't think he was. Apparently not. Okay. Anyway, All right. yeah, that was a kind of a fun thing. Um, hmm. Well, uh, we've got some visual consistency between yeah, all do. three of these. Yeah, um, yeah. Very yeah. simple. Yep. A monochromatic, simple. almost outline of a character. Yep. We're looking at Pink Panther. Ah. Okay, so the Pink Panther, the character, was seen in the credits for the Pink Panther comedy crime movies. In the movies, the Pink Panther is a diamond, but the cartoon character from the credits sprang outward into a regular cartoon series of theatrical shorts and television shows. As a character, the panther is willful and mischievous, but relatively calm. In most of his early portrayals, he doesn't speak. In fact, in the cartoon I'm going to talk about now, there's virtually no speech. As well known as his images, his theme song by Henry Mancini, ported from the movies The Animation, it's even more popular, probably. It's a jazzy, catchy affair, and it typically runs throughout Pink Panther cartoons. It amazes me. Like, I know the name. It's it's weird. Like, I know the name Henry Mancini, and I just think of him as, oh, this famous um, composer. Yeah. But then when I listen to the things that he has actually composed, it kind of amazes me that someone who composed music that iconic existed so late if you know oh, what I, what like it's it's, yeah. it's weird it's like you think of all the famous composers and you think of them from like the 17 and 1800s or whatever you, you think powdered wigs yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and then you hear like you know the baby elephant walk oh, and, right, right. and pink panther and it's like oh that was like not too far from my lifetime hmm well it's got jazz elements so yep yeah so the one we're looking at today, the Pink Panther cartoon, is The Pink Fink, directed by Frizz Freeling in 1964. So the beginning, the Pink Panther struts along until he comes to an unaware man known officially as 
the little man in Pink Panther lore. <laughs> he's, he's painting the wall blue. A taste from the paint bucket confirms Pink's distaste for the color. So he swaps it out for a bucket of pink paint, his favorite color. After realizing, the man that is, that he's painting the wrong color, he follows blue paint splatters to a door. And after a struggle, he opens it and finds his blue can of paint. But as soon as he sets to return to work, Pink splats him against the wall when he dramatically opens the door. This is like a whole lot of little scenes, little gags here. Um, the next scene, the man's painting laterally across the top half of a wall while not noticing that he crosses the panther who is painting the lower half of the wall pink in the other direction. And when the man sees that the bottom is pink, he goes back the other way, but neither does he realize this time that he crosses the panther painting over the blue upper half and making it pink. Assuming a problem with the paint, Little Man chucks out the bucketful. Next, the man begins vertically painting a column and circling it to cover the whole thing. But on the exact opposite side, therefore unseen, the Pink Panther paints it pink. So they continue like that, going in the same direction, overriding each other. The man, realizing a lack of progress, chases around the pole to see what's up. But Pink stays a step ahead, painting as he goes, until he's striped the whole column pink. He does leave behind pink paw prints, however, and the man assumes it's a mouse. When he tracks the panther to the wall that he's painting, Pinky hides his pink body perfectly against it. But when he steps away and leaves a silhouette, a tall one, the man rethinks that it must be a huge mouse. Accordingly, he brings in a huge mouse trap, but the pink panther... Uh, secretly pulls his measuring tape and releases it to snap him in the butt and get him snapped by the mouse trap as well. And to top it off, an actual mouse steals the cheese. <laughs> the next gag sees the man painting a Dutch door. If you don't know, that's a door with a top half and a bottom half that can swing independently of each other. Um, so you can have like an open top half or whatever. So he is again too focused to realize that the panther is quietly opening the door that he's not working on and turning it pink. The frustrated man takes a big paintbrush to cover the whole door blue at once. He leaves in satisfaction, but that door flips over entirely to the pink side. <laughs> yeah, you get what this is about now. Um, no, no dialogue. Not even that, that much special, uh, sound effect even. Um, it's mostly being straight to the to the uh, famous music. Yeah, so, and occasionally there'll be the, like a trumpet blast, like meh, when a right. splatter of paint hits something or whatever. Sure. Um, so later he finishes painting a staircase blue, but the Pink Panther pours a can of pink paint to change the color back. In a literal hopping fit, he jumps in the blue paint and then all over the stairs to leave footprints. Now, after fully painting a room blue, he leaves, but the panther activates a sprinkler to, like a lawn sprinkler, to turn the whole room pink. The man finally catches sight of our main character and chases him with a shotgun. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, the animation, there's a bit where they're running down a lane and then they run toward the camera. They both run so funny toward the camera. <laughs> <laughs> um so the crafty feline secretly loads the barrel with pink paint, the barrel of the gun, that is, and then goads him to fire repeatedly 
and inadvertently paint the whole exterior of the house pink. <laughs> the little man gathers all the pink paint cans and buries them to solve the situation. But by cartoon magic, that makes pink grass, flowers, and trees grow. Even a pink sun rises for an all-pink world. <laughs> That's good enough for the Pink Panther. He takes down the for sale sign outside the house and claims his dream house, much to the chagrin of the little man who bangs his head against the mailbox. <laughs> I've heard, well, I read just today, that the, the, the little man it might be a caricature of Frizz Freeling himself. Hmm. Interesting. He's just this triangle and with a mustache and a nose. He's got a little little cookie duster mustache, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's recognizable enough. You always know that it's him who the Pink Panther is uh, making miserable. Yeah. So, for starters, uh, my memories as a kid of the Pink Panther was how I was low-key scared of the United Artists logo. <laughs> oh, it like slowly rotates in yes. view with like this jam. Out of the darkness. Yeah. yeah. Yes, with the, with the ominous piano. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. I mean, um, when, when we're kids, kids have unreasonable fears of all kinds of different things. Yeah. I am famous in my family for being scared of. There was a game on the Price is Right. I can't remember the name of it, <laughs> but it's um, like the contestant would have to give a price of some kind. And this mountain climber would like go up a mountain. Yeah. With yodeling. Yeah, yeah. That yodel music scared the <laughs> hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, I didn't have to watch it this time. The, the uh, metal logo. Um, this won the Academy Award for best animated short. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the first Pink Panther cartoon. You know what I was thinking it's kind of like is, uh, you know, the first SpongeBob cartoon with the uh, the reef blower. Uh, maybe Swi I I don't know for sure that I could pinpoint what the first SpongeBob cartoon is. I don't think it's the first air, but I think it's the first made. Um, there's no dialogue in it. So maybe they didn't even have the, the signature voices for the characters yet. Hmm. It's Squidward being annoyed because SpongeBob keeps running his reef blower, which is a leaf blower. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's kind of similar to this in that way, hmm. in terms of being the first episode and also, you know, no vocals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've accused Frizz Freeling of being a cartoon factory that just he pumps out a Frizz Freeling cartoon over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. But this is pretty experimental. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. I like this minimalist. Like It's like, you know, it kind of ties in, like you said, to the Wizard of Oz. Like, yeah. I like this minimalist idea of... You just don't need to draw anything that doesn't need to be there. You know, hmm. he's painting a door. Fine. There's a door and nothing else. Like, the background is not important. And it just has this cool look. Yeah. You, um, I think his name is Dungeon Craft, the YouTuber. There's a guy, ironically famous, that he made his fame for, you know, dry brushing those flagstone hallways and whatever for making role-playing game uh, train pieces, right? Okay. But he confessed that a lot of the time when he role plays, all he does is he's got like a disc that I think is kind of like a lazy Susan. <laughs> and he takes inspiration from the Batman 60s show. Like toward the end of that show, they didn't even have sets really. <laughs> they would, they would just have like a door frame. And that was enough for you to understand. Oh, there's a wall there probably. Right. <laughs> 
And so that's what he does for his role playing. It's the same kind of thing here where it's just like they could draw everything or, you know, the fact that he's painting against something tells you, oh, there's a wall there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Same kind of thing here. I just realized (laughs) I just thinking now this is like the first Splatoon. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Two opposing sides, each trying to <laughs> ink the most turf with their color. <laughs> They've done a lot of weird um, sponsors in Splatoon, haven't they? Um, More in Japan than in North America. Yeah. But North America did have some. Um, I think there was an yeah. Autobots versus Decepticons one. Oh, uh, yeah. There was, uh, I'm sure there was a Ninja Turtles one of some variety, but I can't think of what it was. Well, like, I don't think it matters now. Oh, it was a tournament. It was a tournament where they had like um, Michelangelo versus Donatello and Raphael versus Leonardo. And then the winners of those two went against each other or something. Hmm. I think for the longest time the biggest consciousness of the pink Panther is like the mascot for fiberglass insulation. Well, yeah, yeah. There have been various, um, cartoon reboots of the pink Panther. Yeah. You know, pink Panther and pals or something like that. There was like pink Panther kids of some variety. Right. You talked about it. The end in the art book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Just one of those, just one of those cartoons that just one of those characters that every once in a while they reboot them. Okay, well, I think we can move slightly up the, slightly up, but still a character that doesn't reboot very well. Yeah, cartoon characters that reboot. Um, Re- reboot poorly. <laughs> reboot, yeah, Popeye. Yes. Popeye has never been the same since the old days. This is a cartoon that I have actually watched before, probably okay. because I saw the title and just had to see what it was about. Right. Uh, <laughs> never kick a woman. And true to its word, no women get kicked in this cartoon. It's against the rule of the sport. Yeah. Um, So this one opens up with a sporting goods store and a lady who I think she's based on Mae West. Right. And it's kind of before cartoon artists really figured out how to draw people and not noodles. So (laughs) it's a little crude. Um, Sure. But basically, she's in a sporting goods store and she's boxing and she's pummeling this like rocking dummy sort of punching bag thing. Right. Yeah. And Popeye and Olive Oil are watching through the window. And over time, uh, as she's beating this dummy up, uh, posters fall onto it, advertising to come in and try their equipment and also to learn the art of self-defense. Now, Popeye is in favor of this. He thinks that everybody should learn self-defense, although Olive Oil is she's not just hesitant. She's obstinately opposed. Hmm. Now, Popeye, I think for someone who is bullied as much as Popeye is or helps people who is bullied as much as they are, I think it's not an unreasonable position for him to take that everybody should learn self-defense. Sure. Sure. But I do question, he has, he sings this little song about it to convince Olive. And part of it is that 
you can win your arguments if you learn the art of self-defense. And I'm thinking, I, I don't know if I advocate violence as the solution for an argument. It was a different era. Men were men. Yeah. What year was this cartoon, by the way? I didn't look that up. Um, hang on. Let me, uh, let me go back and see if I can translate the Roman numerals here. I uh, got it. You want to? You want to? Yeah, go ahead. You want to beat the, Okay. It's uh, 1936. That's what I thought. I don't know why that, that exact year came to my head. Maybe I looked it up already. I don't know. Okay. Anyway. So Popeye sings his song, and over the course of singing it, he takes swings at olive oil to coax yeah. her into the um, the sporting goods place. Um, and, you know, she ducks and backs away, and they end up inside, where he puts boxing gloves on the both of them. He then demonstrates to her how to beat up a punching bag. Oh, by the way, the uh, Mae West-looking uh, lady who runs the place... Uh, comes in to watch. She is impressed with Popeye's style, which makes him bashful and Olive kind of annoyed. And like, hey, get to the point of showing me how to do this. Mm. So Popeye demonstrates on a standing punching bag, you know, beating it around. Popeye's, I don't have to explain that he's a good fighter. He just uh, beats the thing. And Mm. then he lets Olive have a turn. Now, Olive, at first, she kind of gets the idea of hitting the thing, but it turns out that Hitting this punching bag when it comes back is harder than it looks. She fails a few more times, which uh, causes Mae West here and Popeye to laugh at her. And then Mae West commences the flirting. Talking about his <laughs> his beautiful hair, which he <laughs> <Yeah>. barely <laughs> has, and like just rubbing him up real nice. All the while, Olive is still trying to beat up this punching bag getting more and more angry as her man gets stolen. And eventually it gets to the point that she just beats the thing until it's a wreck and spews out all its sand. And at that point, she decides it's time to take Popeye away from this hussy. Well, the hussy decides that it's time for a boxing match. Hey, people are fighting over Popeye for a change instead of, you know, instead of him and Bluto fighting over olive oil. It's a it's a weird change. Yeah. So a boxing match commences with uh, Olive pretty much getting pummeled, which makes sense. <laughs> you know, you got a professional boxing trainer and she's just learned. When it seems that uh, Mae West here has won, she goes over and claims her prize in the form of Popeye. But Olive... Olive knows the real trick to self-defense. Right. She crawls over and gets into Popeye's pocket and gets his can of spinach. A literal sort of cat fight ensues. Olive is now super powered, just like Popeye, using her spindly, wiry body to wind herself up and punch around like a, like, I don't know, some kind of whirling punch thing. She eventually beats the lady off into the window. And then when Popeye says, oh, hey, good for you, she starts beating him up, too, (laughs) for being such an unfaithful man. Yeah. And when he is sufficiently pummeled, she gets to sing her little ending song or the little ending song about winning your arguments if you learn the art of self-defense. And that's the end. 
Yeah. So this is a really interesting one just because of the way that it turns the tables. Sure. Like, this is the opposite of a normal Popeye cartoon. This isn't um, Bluto either stealing or seducing olive oil and causing Popeye to have to uh, rescue her or win her back. This is the opposite, right. where some other lady is uh, coming on to Popeye and she has to resort to the spinach to beat the other lady up and get her man back. And from that, again, no kicking in this. It's all punches. Yeah. Um, that actually made this really interesting to watch. Like just Well, you see a different dimension of Popeye and all. Like, Olive Oil gets hurt quite a bit in cartoons, yeah. but not like this. Yeah, yeah. She gets beaten. <laughs> <laughs> she really does, yeah. Um, and also Popeye, for somebody who goes to such lengths to keep Olive, he sure abandoned her in a hurry when a... I, I guess this counts as a hotter woman <laughs> in 1936 cartoon terms. I'd, gosh, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know which of these two I would pick. <laughs> um, well, probably not olive oil because she sucks at everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I guess the Mae West one has that style of seduction. Mm. However, that said, it convinces me that there should have been olive oil cartoons. Like, without Popeye. Hmm. Just being inept. And I think she would have been kind of, like, goofy. Hmm. You know? Kind of lankily stumbling through everything she tried to do. Being bewildered, you know? And, like, think of Goofy uh, as the baggage guy at the uh, train station. Sure. Olive oil could have done that. Do you think that the thinking was... That there wouldn't be a market for a cartoon about a woman. Well, the same studio made Betty Boop. Yeah, so. but Betty Boop had the sex appeal thing going for it. Like, I guess. Betty Boop would be attractive to a male audience. I guess right. at this time, they're thinking men would be the one in charge of spending the money, right? Like, they would decide hmm. which movies the family went to see. Huh. I wonder. Was there... I don't think it was on like would be on the marquee which cartoons they were showing though. Mm. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. I guess if you went to see a Paramount thing, no, but this was before Paramount. Huh, anyway, I don't um, know. I think I just like the universe in general. Like I, I wouldn't mind seeing this uh, Mae West character again, for that matter. <laughs> sure. Or like you know a wimpy cartoon. I think some of the uh, the '60s Popeye may have had like cartoons centered on. Like wimpy and the like, but mm -hmm. it's not not great to look at that cartoon. So not really. No, I think you know this is uh, this is fun to watch, but I'm just mm. as as soon as you mention wimpy, I'm just thinking about that Popeye the Sailor meets Ali Baba and his Forty Thieves. Yeah, it's like oh that was flawless. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what a cartoon that was. And this was like I said, you know, this was pretty fine. It was. I think the main appeal of this is, like I said, just the turning on its ear of the Popeye formula. Like, sure. Hey, there can be other stuff here. But you're right. Like there there's interesting characters in this universe and the way that they're done with the kind of mumbling all the time. <laughs> and because there's parts of that in here where they're like they're just watching yeah. and Popeye is like, it's like, oh, you see what that says there, Olive? And, and he's like, oh, not so bad for the weaker sex. And she doesn't look so weak yeah. to me. Like, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Like, just little 
little things that aren't even animated is probably just ad libbed. And then sure. it gets to animating the voice when he says something out loud that was obviously in a script. Right. Like that's just fun. Popeye is just fun. Sure. Yeah. And Dave Fleischer's a heck of a director. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much he was involved. Cause man, he directed like a hundred things. Surely he directed things in the hundreds, but he directed Superman and this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What range? I I'm yeah. I'm more impressed every time I realize like, Dave Fleischer basically directed everything at Fleischer Studios. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So that was fun to watch. Never kick yeah. a woman. Good advice. Learn the art of yeah. self-defense. Beat people you up know, to win your audiences. Or audiences? Uh, 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 arguments. You heard it, celery stalkers. <laughs> We're coming for you. Okay, so boxing's a sport. Yeah. And next week, it's all about sports. Sports. Um, the Stanley Cup playoffs are about to begin. That's why we're doing it. Actually, I just did it because this is usually about the time of year sports day happens at school. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. But anyway, um, we're going to look be looking at cartoons with sports. Uh, they could be just like one-offs or they could be cartoons dedicated to sports. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So, and it, it's one of my things, cartoons that do this. Yeah. But Matsy. Yeah. I have this for you. Okay. From... My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Oh. Buckball season. My Little Pony. Good. Yeah, I was wondering when we were going to get to that. Mm. Well, from one of the better cartoons in recent memory to one of the more embarrassing ones, (laughs) although not necessarily recent, um, I did a little browsing and I thought maybe... This is the time to pull the Band-Aid off of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Oh, yeah. Um, This episode is called The Great BMX Race. Oh, okay. Although the live action segment, I believe, is titled... It's something like Mamma Mia Mario. Or Mama Mario. Okay. Mia, some those three words in some combination. So you can probably find it if you look for the great BMX race. But keep in mind, it may be under that other title. You know, we'll be looking at Friendship is Magic and the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. I think this might be an episode that people will want to listen to. <laughs> yeah. These are uh, popular and infamous things. Yes. So, you know, be sure to show up next time. But in the meanwhile, why don't you tweet at us? Let us know what we should be watching, what we should discuss. I'm at DrabSwatch on the Twitter. Tweet me if Elon Musk will let you. Yeah, same here. I am at AC Matsy. Um, Tell everybody about Animation Celery. Maybe explore other social media sites. Facebook and Tumblr. TikTok, uh, whatever Elon Musk doesn't have his claws in. I'm at AC Matsy on Twitter. I don't have a TikTok. Now, never kick the celery stalker slogan. Say, Dorothy, speaking of iron, did I tell you about the couple that were in the iron and steel business? You see, 